Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode on the Corner Flag Talk podcast. This is officially our start of the summer content that we'll be having planned for you guys. So I wanted to, to do a lot more club-specific stuff. And what better place for me to start than the club that I support is Arsenal. Um, on today, I have some guests here with us because I am the only Arsenal fan that is on Corner Flag. So you can imagine the turmoil I've been going through this season. Uh, first of all, I have here returning once again, we have Elliot. Yankee Gunner on Twitter from the award-winning Arsenal Vision <laughs> Post-Match podcast. Elliot, how are you going? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, John. I always look forward to coming on your pod and talking a little Arsenal-specific stuff. That's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah, get all the agendas out. Uh, we also have <laughs> yeah, Curran. Exactly. Um, it's at Curran, B-O-P, I believe it is, on Twitter from the Ball Over Progression podcast. Curran, how are you going? Oh, good, mate. Uh, Stressful season, stressful start of the podcast. Couldn't really get stuff right, but we are, we are here. Uh, we're here eventually. So it's good to see you guys, and I'm looking forward to talking to both of you. Yeah. So, like I said, this is some more club specific stuff, and I really wanted us to do some overviews of the season. I uh, yeah, we get into that stuff of like, you know, player specific stuff and things like that. But I really wanted to get you guys, and I'll go afterwards. What was your expectation at the start of the season and how did it really evolve as the season progressed and then how you felt after the season ended? So, Kiran, why don't you go first? What was your, like, plays, points, performance-wise expectations and how did that evolve? So, I expected... uh, I expected third. That was my expectation. I thought third would be a good Premier League position for us. I thought we were close to obviously so close to fourth last the season before and I thought that with the progression we'd made, the squad getting a bit older and the signings we brought in, the Zinchenkos, the Jesuses, I thought we could make a push for top four and maybe get as close to the top two as possible. I didn't expect Liverpool to have a massive downfall as they did. So yeah. I expected third. I expected third and maybe like a, a quarterfinal, semi final Europa League and a and a decent push in the cups and obviously things kind of went the uh, the other way so um yeah yeah um in terms of how i feel at the end of the season look i remember last year um at the end of last year i felt that there was a real fork in the road moment for the club because you know of missing out on top 4 can the club go again can we again finally make it can we really push the the big boys and really go into the uh, into the, to this season upcoming in a position where we could you know, put some big bids in for some big players and really push for maybe a title or something like this. That was the plan uh, I had foreseen. Um, obviously, the club, the expectations I had, the club smashed that. Um, the, you know, the deals that we've done in terms of getting Saka and Marcelli and hopefully Saliba as well, I think that's a major point that we have to talk about for this season as well because... Um, that secures us going forward. Uh, hopefully, sleep will be done soon, and then we can all be, you know, <laughs> we don't have to talk about that for another two years. So, yeah, um, hopefully of, not. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, in terms of expectations, they've smashed it. Um, how I felt at the end of the season, look, I, I always felt after the Saliba injury, we were always sort of on edge. Um, you could see with the West Ham game, the Southampton game, uh, we <laughs> we needed him. The Man City game, obviously, we needed him uh, massively for. So. I really feel like there's a uh, there's a there's a there's a base level here that we can really push on and really go uh, take it up mm-hmm. even further next season because if we can finally address that you know that holding shape hole as well as the uh, the 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 problem we have at defensive midfielder as well as well as maybe even getting in some some kind of rotation in that front line where we kind of prioritize you know keeping Saka a bit more fitter uh, keeping uh, Marcinelli and uh, Jesus keeping them all fresh that we've kind of in that in that January to March maybe April period we were really seeing the likes of Trossard come in and really bring in that sort of that that joie de vivre that he brings with when he comes to his game so to really sum up I think last season I felt like it was a fork in the road this season I feel like it's 
a jumping pad to do something very special for the next four to five years, and that's where I'm at currently. I can't lie that that little line. I, I really like that little line. That was, that was nice. Elliot, was <laughs> was your sentiments? Um, well, so everybody can look at my predictions. They're out there for all to see, either on the web yes. or, or on our podcast. I publish them, which is probably a mistake. But uh, so I, I think I can say that going into the season, I, I thought about third place. I thought we'd score a lot of goals. I thought we'd concede quite a few, which wound up being true, but really only because of the kind of colossal defensive collapse we experienced towards the tail end of the season. Um, I, I had us going to the semifinal of the Europa League just because I think getting there is so simple. Uh, but as it's proven, that's not necessarily been a competition that Mikel has focused on or really figured out in terms of how to balance um, being serious about the league at the same time as you get to the knockout rounds of the Europa League. And thankfully, it's not a problem we have to worry about anymore. I think with the Champions League, it'll be much more straightforward. You always take that Mac with maximum seriousness and your best available squad if you get to the knockout rounds. So I think we would see a very different arsenal in the knockout rounds of that competition. As far as our, our Premier League campaign and looking ahead to it, last summer, I think I was one of the people that really believed that the signings we made moved the needle and also that the preseason was indicative of a change in the way we were playing. You could see the positional system was much more entrenched. You could see that we were planning to press more, win the ball higher up the pitch, keep the ball higher up the pitch. And doing that was leading to us having a lot more, um, not, not just a lot more control of games, but create a lot more opportunities. And my biggest criticism of Mikel leading up to that had just been what I regarded as a lackluster uh, attack but also a bit of a, I think you would say, reactive approach to the game. We weren't dominating games. We were yeah. reacting to them. Um, we were yeah. we were not the protagonist, to borrow a phrase from a prior manager who uh, is now at Aston Villa. So based on how I saw us playing in preseason, I could see a path to us being better. I felt that we might get the balance wrong. We might get exposed on the counterattack a little bit. It didn't happen as much as I thought. Obviously, we were great to start the season. We lost Saliba. We faded a little bit in terms of our intensity, I think, with the press and, and the control of games. And games became a little bit more like basketball later in the season, and we conceded more goals, and everybody knows what happened from there. So overall, a fantastic season. I don't think you could complain about it. Um, managing the squad more effectively is going to be important next season and more difficult with the introduction of Champions League football. So who we sign this summer will be important. But also trusting more than 11 players um, mm -hmm. is going to be crucial. And I can understand why Mikel may not have felt he could, but he's not really going to have that choice. Um, yeah. it, it, I think people just assume we will go on and challenge for the title again next season. And while I certainly hope that's the case, and I see how all every indication that we could, yeah. I also think that it is a difficult league, and you can go from you know being a, a clear third place or even second place team one season to where Liverpool find themselves now out of the Champions League, or where Chelsea find themselves quite hilariously in mid table. So. We're going to have to really consolidate and really be sure that having Champions League football doesn't cause us to backslide um, domestically. Yeah. That, that's really the yeah. key. Yeah, um, I think sometimes that we we want to project our own expectations onto the club. And I just like saying this before I say my part is that you know the club was very clear that these things were taking steps that we were in in what Edu said was phases. And like last season, as much as we really did want top four. They were clear that the expectations for them were to get European football again after having none last season. And then this season, it was to get the Champions League. And when, as much as we would have wanted to get Champions League last year and the way that the season was going, we would have wanted to win the league. At the start of the season, with our heads leveled, I think we could say that the squad, not just the 11, but the squads that we had were more tailored at that point to what the club said that we were competing for. We had a Europa League level squad last year. We had a top four level squad this year. And so as much as there were points that I think that we look like we were about to overperform our expectations, and to some extent, I think both seasons we did because we carried both conversations very far in conversations that nobody expected us to be a part of. And we've become somewhat actually a Mikel and his team a victim of their own exceeding their own set expectations, which is the nature of football. Um, for myself, I tweeted this and I said that I think we get 83 points minimum this season. And I know that was a really high bar 
But I felt like, as Elliot rightfully pointed out, that things carry across. And I think last year, we saw that when we had um, our first 11, that between that December to March period, we were sustaining a points per game rate that was similar to that of when Liverpool and Man City were going toe-to-toe. And while obviously I didn't expect us to sustain that whole season as what did actually happen, I did expect us to be quote-unquote top of the table relevant until the World Cup. And I expected us to tail off after that. And we did, just a lot later than we expected. And yet, it still felt like the season ended a bit deflated. But I think that now that we've had a chance to step back and, and really reevaluate the season, it does feel like it's less about the air going out of the team, but rather that there is a foundation now for us to build on and go forward. And like Elliot rightfully said, the league can be very difficult and it's more than just buying players as Chelsea are hilariously proving that it is also about having the team as a cohesive unit. And it's not that hard for a team that has a top coach and top players like Liverpool to slip out the top four. And we have to be very careful about the way that we are going about things. And I think one of the most indicative points about us and the way that we approach seasons will be somebody like Nicolas Pepe then. Because we see how what record side it is up for being contract terminated at this point in time. But we still have had knock-on effects after that from that deal. At the end of the day, we aren't Chelsea. We aren't United. We aren't Man City. We can't be just wasteful with the money that we invest into this team because we just don't have those resources. And that's fine. Teams before us have competed by spending wisely. Liverpool literally won every single trophy it had an offer on the club. We just have to find our ways of doing the same. And I really do hope that that starts off with Declan Rice. I have been a huge propagator of him for years now. And I remember feeling like if the idea of him coming to us felt far-fetched because we just weren't at that level to attract him, especially when, you know, Chelsea would have been sniffing around and Man United and whoever. But now that we are back at that level, this is the kind of talent that we are attracting. And so the next thing I wanted to ask y'all is like, what would be the expectations for y'all in the summer window? And you don't have to give specific names. It could just be profiles. If there are players that you would think are realistic for us to target you could go ahead and say it but what is your hopes and unrealistic expectation for us to do in this window so Elliot why, why don't you go first yeah that that's difficult um because we we don't know a few things right we don't we don't know for sure that Stan is just now in this new world of I'll spend whatever it takes I think yeah. there's some presumption that that something dramatic has changed about the spending but the COVID market was unique we had a mid-table squad. We needed to turn that around, and any made some moves to make that happen. Some of which included sort of basically no interest loans to the club. But setting that aside, like if we just set aside the finance of it, I think we'll have a number of outgoings and a number of wages dropping off the wage bill, and include you know obviously some new wages going on. But yeah. I think Declan Rice will happen. Same. I think yeah. we need another midfielder on top of that. I mean, yeah. is the dream summer Rice and Caicedo? It is. I don't think it's realistic, but it's the dream. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we need we need Rice or Caicedo plus another elite central midfielder. The two of them together would be ideal. So two midfielders, probably a fullback, but I don't think yeah. it needs to be anyone necessarily special. Um, you know, can it be a young player for the future type? I think so. Yeah. And I would like to see us go for one more forward preferably someone that can play center forward, assuming that Balogun is off. Um, I could see Nketiah going as well, though, you know, that's not as a sure thing. So realistically, two top midfielders, a fullback and a forward for me. That's, that's the goal then, this summer. Could mm-hmm. I ask then, why would you rather a, somebody who could play centrally in the front line compared to somebody who would probably provide more depth out wide, specifically on, on Saka's side. Because I think we have, in Gabriel Jesus, someone who actually can be quite good on either wing, right? So right. Okay. if you look at it and you say, what we really have is a lot of wing forwards. Mm-hmm. Saka's a wing forward. Jesus is a wing forward. 
Martinelli might be most center forward of all of them, but he's a wing forward. Um, Trossard is a wing forward. Nelson is a wing forward. And we've just signed him to a new deal. If you take Nketiah out of the picture just momentarily and take Balogun out of the picture momentarily, what you really don't have is a center forward, center forward, right? And I'm not saying Mm. lump it up to the big man, but maybe someone who is more centrally focused and, and more of a focal point and has a little bit more of the ability to, to play through the middle naturally, not that Jesus can't do it. I'm, I'm as big a defender and believer in Jesus as anyone, but I think Mm -hmm. adding that now, if we want to start to convert Martinelli more to that kind of position, I could see going for another wide player, but ultimately if you had more of a center forward, center forward, then you have that guy. Let's just player X Jesus, Martinelli and Trissard, who all theoretically can play through the middle. You have yeah. Jesus and Saka who can play off the right. Martinelli and Trissard who can play off the left. And Nelson who can kind of, you know, be that that additional option. So I think it gives us the most optionality, the most versatility, the most different ways to attack a defense if we had more of a central forward yeah. and and really give ourselves more more opportunities to utilize Jesus' strength as a wide player if we want to. Yeah, that's fair. Karan, what's your thoughts? I mean, for me, it's it's quite simple. I think Rice is, I mean, anyone who's been following me for a while, I've been on Declan Rice since 2021. That's my guy. Um, I've been ridiculed about it. I've been, people call me crazy <laughs> for, for years about it. That is my guy. Um, what you have in Declan Rice is the ability to cover big spaces, the ability to pro- progress through the lines with his dribbling. You can go on for days about how good he is. He is entering his prime this is the kind of signing that we need mm-hmm. to take us into that phase four, if you want to put it like that, whatever you want to say, um, and get us competing at the domestic level at a consistent basis. Um, these are the kind mm. of guys that you you need in the middle of the pitch, just leadership leadership, and just someone that will really uh, put himself about, in, not even on the pitch, but off the pitch as well. Um, I do agree with Elliot. I do think we need a second midfielder. Um, I, I am more confident on Kaiseido than a lot of people are. Um, just, just personally... Um, given that we've done most of the legwork, I don't think personal terms are going to be an issue. We've done, what, 90% of this deal already. It's the case of just agreeing a fee with Brighton. And given the situation Chelsea are in at the minute with the amount of sales they have to make, I do think there's a window, there's an opportunity there to to really you know be aggressive and try and secure that deal. Obviously, the finances are going to be 70 to 80 million, and that's a huge um, layout. Karen, can, I, can I pause yeah. you for a second? Um, I just would like to say, uh, I'm not sure if Arsenal fans, non-Arsenal fans, sorry, would know who this is, but um, a very big friend of the Arsenal fan base, um, Chris Wheatley, he did uh, allegedly just claim that we did lodge a 75 million bid for Caicedo. I, it, it is being I don't, submitted I don't really hold much days. credence in that because of the timing. I do. I did see that, yeah. that Gary Jacob did post something today. Um, the Times writer, who's who is pretty close to Arsenal, that we are interested and we will yeah. make the bid. I don't think it will be this imminent, given the amount of work we're putting into Rice right now. Um, given yeah. that the, the bid for that was probably going to be lodged at some point in the next week. But I do think there is an opportunity there, given the amount of uh, work that Chelsea would have to do to get players out to bring him in, given that they need to, you know, the 75 million that's been thrown around, there is definitely an opportunity yeah. there. So I agree with Elliot, two central midfielders is key. Um, just because of the amount of injuries and every season in Mikel's reign, we've been let down by defensive midfielders, uh, whether it be Partey, whether it be uh, well, Partey again. <laughs> um, there's, it's, it's, the fact is, is that come into the, the April side of t- uh, time or even in AFCON, we're struggling to really replicate what he brings to this team. And it is something we need to address. So if Xhaka is gone, we definitely need another central midfielder to really be that sort of... I don't know whether you want to call it a six or a box-to-box, whatever you want to call it, because the system is going to be pretty fluid. But yeah, yeah, yeah. if it you is. want to compete at the highest level, you need probably two central midfielders. Um, on the on the defensive security uh, um, backline point, um, we hope Rob Holding will leave. Thank you for your service. We appreciate you, but we do think that hopefully... The Rob Holding will leave, and at this point, you need someone to be that that backup at right centre back. Hopefully, we can find someone that is kind of that right centre back slash right back that can fit into both roles because we do have Tomiyasu as well, who had a obviously another injury ridden season, 
And if we can get it together, that is obviously going to be massive. But we can't depend on ifs and buts. We have to look at things at a pragmatic view. And if we can't have him at the most crucial points, then you, you don't have him. It's, it's that simple. So um, a right back, right centre back, hybrid or whichever one you want to put, because if you, put, yeah. if you buy a right back, white can be the right centre back or right centre back, white can be the right back, et cetera, et cetera. So those are the main things. On the forward thing, um, I, I'm, I'm not willing to go on the right wing thing just because of there's no elite right wingers out there. I prefer Jesus to most of the right wingers that are on the market right now. Um, I would rather find someone that brings something that we don't really have in the squad. I want a ball striker. I want someone that you can, can that can lash, um, lashing goals from 25, 30 yards, be that sort of mm. that moments player. Someone like uh, Sabozlai, for example. Someone like uh, an Arda Guler, maybe something like something like this. Yeah. Or, so, so like an attacking midfielder slash second striker role that can bring that sort of that different profile that we don't have in our front line right now. Um, like, yeah, that's my, that's, that's my thoughts. Those are the four I would bring in. Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally agree with what you guys have said. Um, you mentioned it just now, and I really forgot that Jacques was leaving. And I, I've been a very big supporter of Jacques. Even when he did what he did, I, I can't lie, I felt so conflicted because I really did like him. And like to see how he's, I, I'm one of those that I genuinely believe that he's been performing at a very high level for us since the moment that Mikel put his hand around him. And the evolution of him under him has been so great to see. And I mean, I know this season he's gotten plotted. And it's more because, you know, he's been getting more goals and assists. And I do take it as a role that suits him more. Like, I swear, I wish I could put Jacka in somebody else's body that is so much more athletic because like his iq for the game is so great and his technique and understanding but yeah i have very little about the fact that he's going i can't lie i really thought he'd have stayed one more season to help see that whole handing over you know from from the party jaka era into what is rice and whoever maybe um i'm on the same board with you guys i think two midfielders is the bare minimum um i i think that we need to get to that place where it is 18 to 19 players in the squad that he can't trust. That one of the big things that Pep has done this season, even while he was dropping points or whatever, he manages to keep players in that 70 to 80% performance zone. And it's because of the way that he rotates minutes. And the thing is, is that right now, Atleta just doesn't have that. Now, is that down some of it to him? You can't say that because there are some players that he brought in and he has resigned to contracts that we have not seen used quite often. But then the reality is that not every signing is A, going to work out or B, just hit the ground running from the get-go, right? Somebody like Fabio Vieira. Um, I think we've seen in spurts what he can offer, but at no point do I think that he's ever offered anything to say that, okay, we could afford to start him in an important game. Um, I kind of am 50-50 about Kai Sado happening. Is it the dream summer? 100%. And I do think that one of the really, really important things with the two of them is not just the on-field that they bring, but I do think it, and, and this does sound a little um, egotistical in a sense, but I, I think it does send a message to the rest of Europe as well that we are willing to compete with Bayern and with Man City and with the money of Chelsea to get these players over the line. And these players are saying no to them because of where we are heading as a club. And finally, start to break that glass barrier a bit that we've been having since the end of, of Wenger's tenure and kind of going on until now that our Arsenal really meant to be in that conversation of the elite success, you know? We're talking about the conversation of the, the, the cup that we've never won so far or winning the Premier League after we have never won it for 20 years now. And I do think that signing the two of them would really go far in repairing, restoring, and pushing our reputation in and amongst both England and in Europe. Um, I kind of would have wanted a more booster forward just to cover Saka on the right. This apparently has been a controversial opinion, but I've not... I've been kind of thinking that I don't. I think that we could go for Di Maria on a one-year contract. Um, I know that the wages would definitely not be nice, and I'm, I'm aware of that. 
But as Kieran rightfully said, the market for right-wingers isn't that great right now. And we'd be bringing in somebody who, yes, is going to cost a lot because he's going to want high wages, but he's going to come on a free. He's played in every single thing, and he's won every single trophy out there. He would know what it is to take a moment by the scruff of its neck. Um, He's a phenomenal player in, in crunch games, and he would have been a great mentor in some ways to Saka in my opinion because one of the few areas that I really want to see Saka improve is understand how talented you are and own a moment and just sometimes just take the ball and hit it towards goal like like what he did against Man United you know like I want to see more of that from him and from Martinelli and stuff so I thought that had been a good option and with respect to the defensive reinforcements um I also think that bringing in Caicedo if it does happen God, God hopes this happens. He's also an option at right back. We've seen the Zerbi use him there. And as we saw with Arteta and coming at the end of the season, where depending on who's fit and who isn't fit, or just tactically suited to different oppositions, he used party at right back. And I think that's something that we could see him use Caicedo there as well if he comes through the door. Um, so, yeah. The next thing I wanted us to talk about would have been three players that you think their stock has risen really highly this season um and then also three players that you think stock kind of dropped off this season so um i'll go first on this one um one of them for me definitely has to be we actually we go word by word because i feel like if i go first i might take all three um (laughs) First one is Martinelli. Um, I had really high expectations of him going into the season that he would finally like make the position his own and, and what a season he's had. And we keep saying over and over, we are so blessed to have both him and Saka. And it's so true that the profile of Martinelli, I think it's actually so rare that I see in some ways... And obviously different aesthetically, but like a younger version of Cristiano Ronaldo in him. In the way that he can shift the ball and hit it off both feet and take one player's 1v1. And while he might not be the most pleasing to look at sometimes dribbling-wise, it works. He gets past players. He makes angles for himself. And whether it's off the left, his right, with his head, he's a goal machine. And I think like he's so unlucky to get the injury when he did. Because I genuinely believe that he could have gone close to getting that 20 goals in the Premier League this season and would have been our outright top scorer. And I could see him being our top scorer for years to come because he understands what it means to be him and to take moments sometimes. And he doesn't need much of a sniff to be willing to take a shot at goal. So, yeah, Martin Lee would have been my first one. Um, Elliot? Hmm. I, I think I would go with William Saliba. Um, it's tough because you know he wasn't with us previously, but when you think yeah. about where this situation was a summer ago, yeah, you know, getting or two summers ago, his his number being given to Ben White, he's back out on loan, he's at Arsenal, but we're not playing him, right? We're not using him, we're looking for a chance to move him on. Um, I mean, he didn't play a minute for us when he was with the club and then got sent away yeah. again. Um, it, it didn't look like it was trending in the right direction. And it certainly led you to wonder, let me just use I statements. It led me to wonder, I was concerned whether that relationship had a future. And then he comes back, he looks good in preseason and he goes on to become, if not the best center back in the premier league is in the conversation for the top two or three at 21 years old. And to see a guy who can, I mean, one of our top passers in the team, one of the highest complete completion, you know, percentage passers in the team, one of the most progressive passers in the team, the pace to catch anybody up in a foot race, the height and the power and the strength to win aerial duels and go shoulder to shoulder and take people off the partnership he developed with Gabriel, the, the joy he, he exhibited playing for Arsenal after a period of time where there were some noises being made in the media that made it sound like he may not be happy. So I think from where he was and where some of us were thinking this was headed to what he did this season at that age, which is, you know, if you think 21 for sack and Martinelli is young, 21 for a center back is a baby. Yeah. I think, I think he's, he's been extraordinary. Yeah. Well said, Kieran. Are you here now? 
I think you've muted yourself. I've muted myself. I, y- yes, you went we reverse mute. Reverse. You went from unmute to mute. I, the main thing I, I was going to say is, um, I was I was trying to say that I'm surprised that no one said Saka, but um, that's not who I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with the obvious choice in, in Xhaka. I think Xhaka for me, obviously, was going into the season, everyone seemed that this was, he wasn't the guy. Like he was... He was thought of as a joke, something in some circles. I remember when he extended his contract at Rome with the with the Roma saga, and it really looked like people. He, they didn't even post an announcement for it. There was no. Yeah, they didn't. It didn't yeah. it, it was. It, it was. It was a joke. No one wanted to him to be at the club. So yeah. to go from that to every week his name is sung. Every every game he's pro, he's providing double digit goals and assists this season the ability to lead from from within he's just been a he's been a revelation this season and and um we're going to talk about player of the season later i assume but he's yeah, like i'm surprised yeah. that he's not a third or, or or something like that his his season the way he's actually reformed and just he's not been aggressive in 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 uh, with other people he had that moment one moment with trend that everyone kind of took and went crazy with but apart from that no red cards, no yellow. Didn't go crazy with the yellows either. Like he had an incredible season, and uh, it's it's kind of poetic that he's leaving because he when we when he when we bought him we kind of we dropped out of the Champions League and now he's leaving and we're back in it. So it's a nice way for him to go, even though it wasn't with the title. So I'm happy for him and I'm re- I'm wishing all the best. But yeah, I'm going with Shaka for me. Um, in case it wasn't understood, guys, like when the other person says some stuff, you guys more than free to go ahead and just comment without me fighting. <laughs> um, I just one thing on Jaka, as I said, like I, I really do hold a really special place in my heart for him, especially because of the whole character arc too. Now it's so rare to see somebody who got so bad with match day fans to now his final day of the season. He's being sung. We want you to stay. Like that is such an incredible U-turn and a story. But something else I wanted to say on him was that I think, especially on that, and I know there were red cards. I'm not saying no, but I think like something that we saw grow really under him, and we saw it this season as well. Is like he genuinely loves a big game, like a tie with a lot on the line on it. Like I could bet my life. That every single time we play Spurs and United, he rises to the occasion and is in our top three performance nearly every single time. And unfortunately, we didn't get our um annual screamer against United this year. Um, they get away a little bit. But every single time that we play a big game, he always is one of our best performers to see us through those games. Um Kiran had said about Saka, and I think that the, the reason that I didn't say Saka, I, I can't speak for Elliot, obviously, is that I don't see, I mean, I also call him Starboy and, and, and this young player and whatnot, but like, I think my expectation of him is to be him doing what he's doing now. And it's because I, 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 I regard him that highly as well. Like, that isn't a criticism of him at all, is that where he's performing now, deciding games, opening games, big game contributions, that's where I see him because he, he's he's that good of a player. And I think he's also a victim somewhat of his own success. And I know that he, he didn't really have that much end product coming out of the season. I do think that some of that is factors beyond his own control as well as a kind of um, somebody that subscribes to the whole thing of... I think he kind of mentally checked out his season a little bit after he missed the pen against West Ham. And I... I, but that's 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 me. Um, and I I don't even blame him for that per se. It's it's been a really long season for him and for the young players as well. Um, however, my second player was going to be um Gabriel Magalhães. Um, I think that a lot of people wanted him replaced, and um, he's also somebody that I I really do like a lot, and I think it's a lot rarer than people. Bro, I have, I have no idea what happened just now. Um, yeah, I think he's somebody. He, I think it's a lot rare now to actually find defenders that thoroughly enjoy defending, and he mm. is somebody that I will take over nearly anybody 
in the world in an away game in a heated atmosphere to defend the box to see us through games and with the exception of a little rocky start at the start of the season, I think he's been exceptional. I think that the only centre-back I would have had better than him this season would have been Saliba. And we have both of them, right? Our benefit. Um, he's come so far in terms of his distribution as well. Um, I remember Elliot in the earlier parts of the season, he was leading our progression passes, our passes into the final third. He contributes a lot more. And I, I think that he's actually discredited as well for the role that he plays in our team, because the way we set up, we play with an inverted left back. Everybody knows that. But the part that people forget is that that space still exists. Just because our left back has inverted in midfield, that space still exists. And Gabriel basically covers both left back and centre back at the same time. And a lot of times, most of the times, he's done it flawlessly. He That performance he had at Anfield, for him alone, the team had deserved to win. The way that he had lockdown Salah or um, Gakpo or whoever it was it didn't matter and yeah my, my second player would have been mm, great player <clears throat> no argument there I mean I, I think it's th- this is the problem right when a team goes from eighth to fifth to nearly the title and and at one point is on a hundred point pace everybody's a candidate you know yeah. part of being yeah. able to take a, take a team from fifth to near nearly, you know, breaking the 90 point barrier, like everybody's going to be a candidate. And so it'd be harsh not to name Saka, be harsh not to name Odegaard. It'd be harsh not to name Ben White. Zinchenko wasn't with us. So you can't really pick him. Same with Jesus, but they'd both be candidates. Um, Martinelli was a great shout. I think it, it, it is just the case that there, you don't make the leap we made unless everybody raises their game and everybody raised their game. So, you know, I, I, th- I think you have to pick Bukayo Saka because he went from a good, solid, even player to one of the premier wide players in, in the world, uh, in the Ooh, league, 25 yeah. goal involvements, whatever it was. Um, he trailed off at the end, and I think, unfortunately, recency bias is going to mean that some people say, was well, his season really that good? But his season really was that good. And I think it's also the point that... You know, I remember watching the Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan, and like when, when the Bulls were in trouble or something wasn't going right for them, the thing that Michael Jordan had beyond just everything is you just put the ball in his hand. Just put the ball in his hand, and suddenly the game would calm down, and the opposition would be a little, you know, wouldn't be able to create that momentum, and, and things just slowed down, and everything was going to be okay. I think there are times when a game's getting frenetic, when we're under a bit of pressure, when, you know, maybe we'd, you could just give the ball to Saka. He will beat a man, he will get fouled, he will hold it up, he will make a good decision. You, you don't have some of that chaos factor that you have at other times and other places in teams. So, yeah, I, ju- I just think Sack has made a leap. I think he'll continue to make a leap. And I, I do agree with your point that he has to back himself more. He and Martinelli both. They, yeah. they, they need to go from two and a half shots a game to four shots a game, yeah. each of them. Yeah. They need to back themselves more. They have the talent to do it. I think when the, when the decision-making around the box and in the box gets even better, then instead of it being 25 goal involvements, it'll be 20 goals and, and 15 assists or you know 25 goals and 15 assists. He has that, he has that capability. He was so close this season to getting into the very small club of 15 goals and 15 assists. And mm. again, I do think if we were able to maintain dynamics a bit longer, he would have actually gotten into it. He wasn't that far. I believe it was 14 goals and 11 assists, right? And yeah. I, I I think that, not think, sorry, he that is the most goal involvement, joint most by a player 21 and under in the Premier League um, level with Cristiano Ronaldo from ages back on Leroy Sani 0708 in, 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 thank you uh, and Leroy in 17-18 I believe it was mm-hmm. and he is again a victim of how far he's come as a player and like I genuinely believe that he's world class everybody's um definition of that could, could, could change and, and that's fine but I just marvel thinking about him a lot because we have a genuine top three player in the world in his position and he came out of our, our academy like that is so rare that, that we paid zero for somebody to, that we've grown that we've groomed and he's he's become one of the premier players in his role in the world and yeah uh kiran who, who you had next i'm just going to do my, my final two because i think we're, we're running low on time but i think Trossard and Kivior, I think both of them came in in January. I think 
Kirill no one knew anything about. I think everyone assumed that he was just going to be, you know, like a sort of, you know, bought in and sort of, you know, as as uh, John put it, like groomed and, you know, prepared for next season. But he yeah. came in when we needed him and he showed that he's got the quality to play on both sides of defense of, of the cent- at center back. He's able to play at left back as well. Um, he has the pace that I was shocked by, crazy pace, comfortable on the ball, the passing angles from either side, very decent. Obviously favors that left side a bit more, but he has this ability to receive um, even on the right and still do a, a serviceable job. So I was surprised by him. And obviously with Trossard, you know, the after the Mudrick saga, everyone kind of just looked at it as like, what are we doing here? We're just going for anyone at this point. And he came in, hat-trick with sisters against Fulham, the amount of versatility he brings being that left wing, right wing, as well as that centre forward role that he does so well. Um, performances, I'm, I'm just so, the the thing about Trossard is his ball striking, his ability to be a bit more dynamic inside the box. We saw that against uh, Leicester, even though the goal was disallowed, that the way he lashed that ball in the back of the net was was special. I think he's, seen, he's shown a lot of quality that we could show and being a bit older as well, he didn't feel like he didn't have that adaptation that some players could have as well. So he was extra- extremely good. So both of them, for me, both January signings, very both came in very well and did a job when we needed them to. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough, but you could see why they were bought in and the plan that was put in place for what happened for the next six months when they were bought in. Cool. Yeah. Kuran. Uh, Todd said Trussard and Kiwio. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I mean, I obviously knew um, Trussard from being within the league. I did not think that we'd, he would have had that impact that he did have. And I mean, he had 10 assists for us, right, by, by the end of the season. And he had like two in his previous like 50 something appearances for Brighton, right? That, that was crazy. Um, lastly, for me, I was going to say Ramsdale. I think that he actually has come pretty far as a keeper this season. I saw better decision making from him. Like we all knew like how good he was passing out with his feet. But I thought that like he was way more locked in in, in the bigger games, I thought, this season. And yeah, obviously there are moments that, that that we would expect more from him. But I You'll hear me? Yeah, sorry, just cut out for a second. I apologize. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. I apologize with that. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, I, I, I thought that he's improved a lot. And look, we, we mentioned earlier in the pod that if we think Saka is young, Saliba as a centre back is a baby. Well, if Saliba as a centre back is a baby, then Ramsdale <laughs> hasn't even been born yet as a keeper, mm, right? Yeah. And um, the other day, I can't remember who it was. Um, they had released different valuations for players on Twitter, and, and Ramsdale was the most ex- most highly valuable keeper in the world. And I don't necessarily know what are the metrics that go into determining that value per se, but I do agree that. Some Arsenal fans will take it for granted a little bit. Um, there are very few keepers in the world. I genuinely mean this that I, I would replace them with. Um, there were and, and it's really just the obvious ones, you know. Like maybe Alice Allison, yeah, because I, I, I kinda think Allison might be one of the best keepers of all time. But Ramsdale is so much better this season, and people are holding like the error against Southampton against him, or maybe some one or two stuff. Um, his save style is a bit unorthodox sometimes. But again, and I know that sometimes we do this and we can't always separate the emotion from it. And the kind of passion that he shows for the club does come into the way that we, we see him. But I, I do think goalkeeping-wise that he's come really far this season and has been probably let down by his defense in some performances. Like I actually did think he was great against Liverpool. I thought he was great even against City in the away game despite conceding four goals as well. And... Uh, yeah, just hoping to see more from him going forward. So, yeah. Elliot, what's your last one? And then we'll just wrap up. Yeah. Um, I, I'll go off the board. I'll go with a weird one. Um, I'll go with Reese Nelson. Because, great. I mean, look, Odegaard <laughs> deserves one. But let's go with Reese Nelson just because Reese Nelson was nowhere. I assumed we wouldn't see him. He wouldn't play. Wouldn't be part of the team. And, like, Reese Nelson finished the season arguably ahead of Emil Smith-Rowe in the pecking order. Yeah. Um, Reese Nelson gave me one of the best moments of my entire life full stop, uh, with all due respect to my family. Reese Nelson <laughs> came on and, and 
and showed that he could deliver the kind of dynamic performances off the bench that you need from someone who's going to be a sub, right? A sub can't just come in and ease their way into the game. They have to influence it right away. And he really showed he could do that. And I think that's not me saying Reese Nelson is now a world beater, but Reese Nelson has a path to an Arsenal career, which I never in a million years would have believed he could have, or a path to real resale value if we want to go that route. And I, I would say, you know, just as a final thought, like he... He went from being a player who, when he came on, looked like he was cautious and conservative and just trying to keep the ball, not lose the ball, to someone who's willing to express his his talent on the pitch. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing you see from someone that really believes themselves. And I, I think Mikel deserves credit in seeing it in him. He deserves credit for fighting his way back to that point. He's reached a place, a place in his career where, whether at Arsenal or somewhere else, I now think he's going to bring real value. And that's not something I would have said 12 months ago. Yeah. <laughs> totally agree. I also agree that moment against Bournemouth. I I was sitting down right here actually, and I kid you not, I didn't see the goal. I just knew what it was in, and mm. I just started scream. Couldn't help it. <laughs> I, I won't lie. At that point, I really did believe it might have happened. Um. Okay. Real quickly, and we had a really good season, so. It, it's not going to be a case where we're going to have much players stock falling, right? Um, not to take all it too early. I'm sorry. Um, one player, each guy, and just something really short, and then just some parting words. Ooh, it is that late. Okay, one player, yeah. quickly, very minimal explanation, and then just parting words after that. So for me, uh, Emil Smithrow, I would have liked more from him this season, even in moments that he did get. I don't think he was that impactful. However, the club did put out something that say he's not for sale. And therefore, I am expecting really big things from him next season as well. Because we are quick to forget how talented that he is. And he was our joint top scorer last year for a reason. Because he is that good and he does belong at this level. So, yeah, yeah. that's mine. Elliot? Yeah, I'll go with Sambi Lakanga. I mean, a guy who was bought at a not tiny fee, captain of his club team, um, was getting international, you know, national team call-ups, comes in, loses his place, winds up getting loaned out, not somewhere he wanted to be. Then on loan, winds up losing his place as a loanee um, at Crystal Palace. I, I think the talent that I saw in him when he first arrived and the way you know he's gone to now, not, not only not factoring for Arsenal, but not factoring for Crystal Palace in the span yeah. of 12 months is a huge fall from a player who I think people quietly were optimistic about what he could bring for us. And so, yeah, not, not a good place for him to be, and I wouldn't be surprised if he leaves. Yeah, I mean... Right. The the obvious one is going to be it's going to be Rob Holding, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Look, thing, yeah. look, he shouldn't have been at the club after Spurs last year, and it's not even a question of um, reducing expectations. But if he was if he was kept and he was meant to be a first team player as a senior member of the squad, someone that you're meant to be relying on to come in and do performed as he he did is it's just not acceptable. And um, again, I, I want to I don't want to be mean to him. I want to be. I want to remember his his game against Diego Costa. I want to remember those times. I want to remember when he was good. I, I don't want to remember this. Um, and that's that's all I have to say about Rob Holding. Yeah. Um, cool. Guys, uh, just some last words for the listeners on how you felt about this season and what to look forward to next season as well. Uh, yeah, for yep. me, just I, I hope that people can enjoy a season for what it is beyond just yeah. the outcome. You're seeing West Ham have an open-top bus parade, and it's great. I'm happy for them. At the end of the day, we felt like we had open-top bus parades every weekend all season. We were playing brilliantly. We were in a title race. We were celebrating. We were beating our rivals. We were beating Spurs twice. We were beating Liverpool. We were beating United. I mean, we, we did things this season that we've wanted to do for so long, restored yeah. a lot of class, a lot of class and, and reputation to this club. We're back in the champions league. I think for next season, it's clear, get out of the champions league group and make some noise in the knockout rounds, go challenge for the title again. I don't think you can ever say win the title is the expectation because you might need 99 points to do it, but go challenge for it again, go be near 90 points and see if that's enough, you know? Yeah. Kieran. This season has been one of the best of my Arsenal life for me. I, I, I remember being there for the Invincibles. I remember being there for the double season. And this has come close to that for me. The football we're playing, I was there for Bournemouth. I was at the stadium and it was it's one of the live, one of those moments that you never forget. Um, Elliot, you were there I, as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, it's it just uh, it was absolutely amazing um it's just giving me goosebumps thinking about it it's just it was just that kind of moment and 
like I understand. I completely re- reiterate what Elliot said. It's not all open bus top parades because they can come with the correct progression through seasons. And when you do hit them, and they feel, and you feel like you've you've been there and you've done something historic, and this club can do something historic, not just in the summer, but the next season and seasons to come. Where the squad is very young, the squad is very hungry, and the squad is going to go again and improve every single year because that's what we're going to do, and that's all we can expect. Man City are a juggernaut. They've won this league three times in a row. We have to take it off them. We're not trying to be City as well. We are trying to beat City. So let's not try and get into this this notion that we have to try and cop everything Pep does. We're trying to beat him. So let's take it what it is, go again, and see what we can do. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah. All I have to say is be excited. Um, that being said, guys, um, thank you guys so much for coming on. Um, I'm going to put these guys uh podcast in the description as well but the chances are you guys are coming from their channels and their feeds to come and listen to here please subscribe if you made it this far we really would appreciate it um thank you Elliot. you can find him on twitter at yankee gunner and you can find their podcast everywhere um the award-winning podcast again and subscribe to their patreon I fully sub- I fully support that I've been Do a it. patreon fighter like two and a half years now something like that I listen to their content every single day that they put out Thanks, and i really do support it even if you're not necessarily an arsenal fan just the ana- the analysis and stuff i really do think you guys will enjoy it yeah and even if you don't want to listen just sign up yeah <laughs> just sign up and you will get some very smart comments from um from paul you'll get at least yeah. entertainment value from Scary paul comments and thank you, Kurad, for coming on. He's from the Ball or Progression podcast. He is a very good account to follow on Twitter as well for really in-depth analysis and stuff like that. And he's part of Declan Hive. That is the only reason you really need. <laughs> so thank you guys again for coming on. We really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll have you guys back soon. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.